Well, good morning, Hilton Head Island Community Church. I hope you're doing well. Uh, thank you so much for joining live online this morning, whether you're joining on YouTube or Instagram or Facebook Live or whether you're on our website. I'm glad that you have chosen um, during this time, as Cynthia just said, uh, when we're quarantined and when we're forced to be isolated. Thank you so much for choosing to be connected and join in, whether you're joining live or whether you're joining uh, later today or even throughout the week. Uh, and again, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. I'm the lead pastor here. Really excited about this new series. We are kicking off this brand new series called After Effects, and we're talking about what happened next, what happened after the resurrection of Jesus this whole idea of what happened next, I think, is um, kind of something that we think about a lot. What, what happened after the fact? Uh, this past week, um, I spent some time, we took some time off as a family to spend time as a family. We had some things going on um, in our house that we had to deal with, and we had a few projects. I know some of you probably have been working on projects with a pandemic and a quarantine and a stay-at-home order. That's the thing that you do is you work on home projects. In fact, if you're joining us on one of the social media sites, why don't you in the comment section tell people what project you've been working on. For me, this past week, in addition to spending time together as a family and in addition to golf, my favorite pastime, um, I spent time cleaning the attic. It was interesting. I had a lot of help. Sean helped me. Cynthia helped me. Sydney helped. Um, we all kind of got in on things. We have two attics. We have a small house. We have two attics, one over the garage and um, one in the house. And every time um, grandma comes or if my, uh, Cynthia's mom, Sandra, or my dad comes and they bring stuff, um, or if we have something left over and we don't know where to put it, where do we put it? We put it in the attic. In Atlanta, we used to have a basement and we would put it in the basement. But uh, we've lived in our house for 10 years now, and I figured it was time to clean out the attic, and it was time to clean out the attic. And it was great timing, too, because Sydney, who's almost 16, um, was wanting to look at our yearbooks from high school. And so we got all the stuff down, pictures, yearbooks. We had kind of a trip down memory lane on Friday, and uh, she was looking at all of our pictures and, and making a little fun of us, which I'm fine with. That's cool. Uh, but uh, anyway, she was interested in that, and out of one of my yearbooks from 1991, my senior year, fell a newsletter. It was a newspaper. And she looked at it, and she said, what's this? And I said, well, that's our school newspaper. I think it was a monthly newspaper. And she's like, but what did you put in here? Like, what is the deal with this newspaper? Like, for a small school in Atlanta, why in the world would you have a newspaper? And I said, well, there were kids that had journalism classes, and this, what they, this is what they worked on. And they would tell the story of what happened after something happened, right? After the basketball team, you know, failed to win the state championship, they would write about it. And after the school got their new accreditation, they would write about it. And as seniors were choosing the college they would go to, they would write about it. And the way I described it to her is I said, this was our Facebook, right? Okay, so this was the story of what happened after something happened. And it got me thinking about the fact that in Jerusalem in the first century, I wonder what the headlines would have been. I wonder what the Facebook story would have been in Jerusalem surrounding the events of this man by the name of Jesus, who, as we talked about last week on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday, turned the world upside down and made the decision to go to the cross, rise again from the dead, do the thing that needed to be done to literally turn history on its head. 
I wonder what the headlines would have been in the first century. Something like this. Rabbi upsets religious leaders with new message. That would have been a headline in the first century. Nazarene cult leader accused of treason and blasphemy. Trial, sentencing, and crucifixion of religious leader fast-tracked. Or this, Jesus dies via crucifixion, body stolen from private burial tomb. And then maybe this, after three weeks of a community search, Jesus' body is found. Except that last one would have been an untrue headline, right? Because Jesus' body was never found. Jesus' body was never found, so that headline wouldn't have been true. They would have never gone to print because that would have been fake news, as we call it. Jesus' body was never found. The tomb was empty. That grave was robbed, but by God, he rose again from the dead, showing God's power and defeat over death and he, how he defeated death. And so Jesus' body wasn't found, and God in his significant wisdom and in his sovereignty decided that he would broadcast the news headline to the world in such a wildly dramatic way. What he chose to do was to show the world that Jesus was alive by sending Jesus back to earth starting on Resurrection Sunday, and for 40 days he made appearances throughout 40 days, about 8 to 10, depending on the Gospels and how you read it, between 8 and 10 appearances to over 500 people demonstrating and showing the truth of the resurrection. What happened in those 40 days, plus 10 as we're going to see at the end of it, because there were 10 days before the Holy Spirit came after the 40 that Jesus was back here on earth. What happened during those 40 and 50 days is wildly significant also in the course of human history. And it actually is extremely significant for the church 2,020 years later. In an amazing way. And so we're going to be journeying through Jesus and what happened after Jesus rose again from the dead. And we're going to start just a little bit past the beginning of the story. If you have your Bibles or if you're on version, we're going to be in Luke 24 and we're only going to be in Luke 24 today. And we're going to be taking a look at the second appearance. Now, the reason I've saved one appearance of Jesus is I've saved the appearance where the women that were at the cross that day went back to the tomb. And I'm going to save that for Mother's Day. I want to come back to it, even though chronologically that's the first event that takes place. And so each Sunday over these next seven weeks, we're going to be taking a look at one of these appearances of Jesus and what it meant. And today's appearance can best be described as a surprise appearance by Jesus. You see, that Sunday, that Passover Sunday, when Jesus rose again from the dead, these women went to the tomb. They came back and told the followers of Jesus, the disciples and other followers of Jesus, that the tomb was empty, that his body wasn't there. They proclaimed what had happened. And we're going to describe that in detail in a few weeks. But what happened to two of these followers is they decided that they would begin to return to their village, which was seven miles away. The village's name was Emmaus. And they began this slow walk back to Emmaus, on that Sunday, probably in the afternoon. 
They probably had come into Jerusalem on that previous Sunday, as many people did during the Passover week, celebrating the God of deliverance, coming together, seeing people they hadn't seen, as we described the last two weeks. And these men decided that now the guy that they followed, the one that they had kind of like chosen to follow, is dead and his body can't be found. They chose and they decided that it was time to go back home. And so they left Jerusalem to go back home. Let's pick the story up of what happened with Jesus in Luke 24, 15 through 17. Let's take a look here this morning. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I'm going to wrap back around to that in a moment and at the end. But look at verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he, Jesus, said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Now, first of all, I love this picture of Jesus coming up on these two men who were followers of him. I love it because there's humor here, right? I mean, they, they come up and, and, and they're, they're walking home back to Emmaus and probably taking, you know, this long journey back home, uh, seven miles in that day and age, walking. It would have taken them quite a while. So they're making this journey, and Jesus visits them. He surprises them. He comes up on them or meets them, and he hears them talking. And Jesus, who is now in his glorified form, who is all God, at this point in time, he is all God and no man, but he is all God, is literally in their presence asking them, what, is, what are you guys talking about? Like, what's going on? I love this part of Jesus right here in a humorous way, asking them what's going on. And I love verse 16 because it says here that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. That's such an interesting statement, that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And it causes me, I've got two why questions in just these two verses, verse 17 and 18. Excuse me, verse 16 and 17. Why in the world would they have not recognized him? Well, there's several reasons that um, it could be. Maybe God kept them from recognizing Jesus because in his sovereignty, he knew that they didn't need to see Jesus or recognize Jesus until a certain point, which we'll see happens later. Maybe this was all God's plan. And they didn't recognize him because supernaturally God kept them from recognizing him. That's one plausible answer to the question, why couldn't they recognize Jesus? But maybe it was because the last picture that they had of Jesus was that he was hanging from the cross. He was bloody and beaten. His body had been torn. And maybe the picture that they have of Jesus was the Jesus who had died on that cross. And maybe seeing him in his heavenly form, in his glorified form, maybe it was that they didn't recognize him because the last picture they saw of Jesus didn't match what they were seeing now. Maybe the picture that they had currently wasn't the picture that they had of Jesus hanging from the cross. And maybe to them, he was literally unrecognizable. Or maybe it's this third option. Maybe for these two men, it was because they were really blinded to who Jesus was and the work that Jesus had done and was still doing in their lives. 
Maybe they had all the head knowledge in the world, which we'll talk about in a moment, but maybe it hadn't sunk into their heart. Maybe they didn't recognize him because they were looking for something different. Maybe they didn't recognize him because they thought that Jesus was gone and they thought that all was lost. Which leads me to the second statement that I think is unusual, and it's found in verse 17 at the end of it, when Jesus opens his mouth and he says, what's this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still and they were looking sad. Why is it that they were looking sad? Well, just like the other followers of Jesus and just like we described last week, I'm sure that they were dismayed because Jesus was gone, that he had died and he was gone, his body couldn't be found. And, and I'm sure in that moment on that Sunday, again, remember this is the same day, this is Resurrection Sunday that we're talking about, they probably hadn't drawn the conclusion yet and realized the joy yet that God had raised Jesus from the dead and that he was gone because that was what was supposed to happen. Maybe they hadn't come to that conclusion. And so in their minds, all they thought was that they had followed this man that now looked like a fraud. It now looked like he had been crazy and somebody had stolen his body and they were trying to, to uh, you know, take the body away and, 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 and uh, do something with the body so that the, the um, power of the story of Jesus could be put to rest. And maybe they were sad because... It was a fraud. Maybe they were sad because they had left a lot of things to follow this rabbi and they knew that they would be made fun of. They knew that they would be ridiculed. And so maybe their current situation told them to be sad. Maybe their current situation told them that there was no hope left. Maybe their current situation told them that the game was over. For those of you who are part of Hilton Head Island Community Church, you know I'm a huge, I grew up in Atlanta, and I'm a huge Atlanta sports fan, and I'm a huge Braves fan. And, and I remember one game in particular, it was my sophomore year in college, and I wasn't in Atlanta, I was at, at Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, and I was watching game seven of the 1992 National League Championship Series. Now, if you're a Pittsburgh Pirates fan, I'm sorry, and we have a lot of people from Pittsburgh here, and you all can email me, and you can put in comments, you can tear me up, that's fine. I'm good with that. Because it was game seven, it was 1992, we had beaten the Pirates the previous year to go to the World Series. We lost to the Twins in the World Series. But this was game seven of the NLCS in 1992. And the Braves were losing two to one, and it was the bottom of the ninth, the game was in Atlanta, and there were two outs. We were down literally to our last at bat, and shockingly and surprisingly, a player that really didn't do much throughout that series hit a double, and Sid Bream, who was actually a Liberty University alumni, um, came barreling around third base um, and, and someone before him to score that tying run, and Sid Bream slid as the ball came in from Barry Bonds in the outfield. He slid in to, to home plate to win the NLCS to go to the World Series, and it was awesome unless, of course, you're a Pirates fan. It was great. It was great. And I remember being at Liberty and celebrating with my buddies. We were all from Atlanta. We had told the Pittsburgh people to go somewhere else and watch it. They had to watch it somewhere else. We, had, we were there watching it in the Student uh, Union Center, and we were going crazy. But I remember in the days following some people giving stories about how they left that game in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. 
they decided it was done. Pittsburgh was winning. Atlanta wasn't going to the World Series. The, Pits, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates were going to the World Series, and they left the stadium that day, Atlanta-Fulton County Stadium, in the bottom of the ninth with two outs, and they missed one of the great moments in Atlanta sports history as Sid Bream came sliding into home plate because they left too soon. You know, the way I view it is these men in their inability to connect the pieces of the puzzle, in their inability to allow the head knowledge that they had to penetrate their heart, they decided that God was done and they were left alone and they left too soon. They decided to go back home before the game was over. They didn't allow God to do that last bit of work that he was about ready to do, and so they decided that they would pack their bags, and they were done, and they left too soon. And if you're listening, or you're watching, and you may think that your current circumstances with the relationships that have gone terribly, terribly bad because of some decisions that you've made in your life or that someone else made in their life, if you think that you're down to your last at bat and it's time to leave now, I want you to know you're leaving too soon. Or if you think that because of this pandemic, because your job has been eliminated or perhaps your income has been slashed in half or more, or because maybe your net worth has been cut by a third because of the financial crisis that's resulted, that's resulted from this terrible virus, and you think, you know what, it is time to leave. I want you to know you don't need to leave too soon. Don't leave the game too soon. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up on God because he still has work to do in your life and in my life. We need to be people who stay until that last out to see what God might do in the 11th hour. Don't leave too soon. I love the next part of the story because there they are explaining to Jesus the story of what just took place with Jesus. Like they go through the whole thing. They go through the whole scenario about how he was turned over. He was betrayed, how uh, Judas turned him over for 30, 30 pieces of silver and how um, he went, uh, he was handed over to the high priest and how they handed him over to the Romans and how he went to the cross. And so there these men are, these two disciples of Jesus explaining to Jesus the story that just happened about Jesus. How absurd, right? It's like someone telling the story of a novel to the author who wrote the very novel that they're describing. And they're describing to Jesus what's taking place, but he can tell that they're not connecting the dots. And so this is what he says in Luke 24, and he's not being mean here. He, he's, uh, he's actually being very truthful. He said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe. Notice there that he doesn't say slow of mind. He says, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he, Jesus, I love how Luke kind of boils us down to one verse here at the end of his, his message, uh, his book called Luke, his gospel called Luke. He, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see, Jesus essentially says to two men who are undoubtedly Jewish, who are Jewish, he explains to them how this one named Jesus, who he was, is the one that the prophets foretold, and how all of these things happened in sequence exactly how the prophets had prophesied. Exactly how throughout the course of Jewish history had been foretold long ago. And he begins to put those final pieces of the puzzle together for these men who have all the head knowledge in the world. They understand the Torah. They get the law. They probably can interpret the law. They know the stories of God's deliverance. They know the history of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They can tell you probably everything about Jewish history. But in that moment, when Jesus appears to them, they repeat the story of the very Jesus that's standing in front of them, that's walking with them, that's along beside them because they don't recognize who he is. And I've got to believe that it's because it didn't go from their head to their heart. They understood everything about the scripture, but that intellectual faith didn't translate to a real believing faith. And it's why Jesus says here, that they are slow of heart to believe. He didn't talk about their intellect. He didn't talk about how much they knew because they knew a lot about Jesus. But knowing about Jesus doesn't mean knowing him. It doesn't mean believing him. It doesn't mean that we trust him with every piece of circumstance that's going on around us. So Jesus began to put some of the pieces of the puzzle together for this man named Clopas and whoever it was who was with him, this other disciple. And all of a sudden, things start. They start to make a little sense. I watched some of you over the course of the last few weeks as um, you're putting together 1,000 and 1,500 and 5,000 piece puzzles. And I read one story uh, yesterday of a family who put together a puzzle, and I can't remember how many there were, but they got to the end, and there was one piece missing. Man, that would have killed me. That would have absolutely killed me. Total tilt moment for me in that moment. We've been on all this work, and there's one piece. And what Jesus was doing was he was, in a, in a, in a very tender way, beginning to help them to believe by connecting all of these little things that had happened through the years, all these prophecies, so that they might finally recognize that he was Jesus. But they didn't. They didn't. I believe they got a little closer in that moment, but they didn't believe. And in fact, um, I love what happens next. Look at verses 28 through 31. So they drew near. They keep on walking. They drew near to the village to which they were going, um, and, and he acted, Jesus acted, as, as if he were going further. Well, once again, I think we see Jesus' humor here. He's kind of like acting like he's going to go on further. And in that moment, what did they say? They, verse 29, but they urged him strongly to stay, saying, stay with us. For it is towards the evening, and the day is now far apart. So he went in to stay with these men. And I love verse 30 and 31. Check this out. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread that they had there in their home, I'm assuming, and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. 
and their eyes were opened. And in that moment, when they were partaking the Lord's Supper once again on this Sunday night, this Easter, this resurrection evening, he vanished as soon as they recognized him. He vanished from their sight. I love that Jesus, in that moment, kind of beckons them back. He kind of calls them back to what would have happened with his 12 disciples just a few days before when they were celebrating that Passover meal. And Jesus would have broken the bread and he would have given that bread to the 12 who were there. He does the same thing with these disciples. And what he's doing in their minds is he's connecting the stories of the prophets to who he was and what he had just done. And now he's connecting them to a more recent event, the Last Supper to who he was and what he had done. And in the moment that they recognized him, he vanished from their sight. I love the word that's used here. It's a word in the Greek that's used when it says that he gave it up to them. When he gave up that bread to them, the word that's used in a Greek is a word that he used on purpose because these men, just a few verses earlier, in describing how Jesus was given up by Judas and how he was given up by the high priest to the Romans, he was handed over, if you will, that's the same word that's used when Jesus says that he broke the bread and gave it to them. Isn't that incredible? How the word of God is so incredibly intricate that, that God would have used the exact same language, the same Greek word that they had just previously used about being handed over. And by the way, there's another verse in Revelation um, where Jesus describes to Satan, you no longer hold the keys of death. You have handed them over to me. And it's the same Greek word that's used in that instance as well. Showing that he defeated death that what he had done was the seminal moment in all of human history, the most important moment in all of human history. And in that moment, with just those two disciples, he uses it once again, and he hands over the bread to them. I love verse 32. This is when the belief begins to happen. This is where it penetrates. It goes from their head to their heart. They say to each other, I love this, did, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. This is like, you know, me and my best friend is we encounter someone who's important to us, like you know, maybe, maybe someone that, that we love from you know, our sports past, you know, and, and we see them and we're kind of like, I don't think that's him, but maybe it's him, but, but I don't think it really is. It's gotta be someone else. And then later in the evening, we're like, yeah, that was him, that was him. They're kind of going, did not our hearts burn as he was talking to us? And I think that's why they invited him in, is that there was something going on in their spirit. There was something going on where the truth, the intellect of the word was beginning to go into their hearts. And we see it right there, that that's the moment that they believe and Jesus disappears. And then let me to tell you what happened to these guys. They were so excited that Jesus had been with them after his death and resurrection in his, in, in his uh, glorified form um, that they decide in that moment, that evening, to make the trip back into Jerusalem, seven miles back. I'm guessing a little quicker this time because they weren't so sad to tell the other disciples that Jesus was there 
And they end up eating together, and Jesus ends up showing up. And I want you to see this as we end Luke 24, 36 through 38. This is all the disciples together. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them, and he said, peace to you. I'm sure he had to say peace to you in that moment, in that home, as they were eating, because they would have been scared to death. They would have been scared to death. In fact, it says in verse 37, they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. Some of your translations may say ghost. They thought they saw a ghost. And I love in this moment of fear when Jesus appears to them what he says. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't say, no, 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 you got your theology wrong. It's not ghost. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. I love how tender, once again, he is. In verse 38, he says to them, why are you, are you troubled? Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Once again, he uses the word hearts. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? And we're going to pick things up next week from when Jesus now begins to appear to individual disciples. But I want you to know that if you're here today, if you're listening today, if you're watching this podcast today or wherever you're watching, Facebook Live, Instagram, YouTube, or on our website, I want you to know today that Jesus doesn't want to beat you over the head with a club because you doubt. He is not gonna demand that you believe in him. He's not going to try to force you to a place of belief. But I want you to hear today that he loves you and he desires your heart. He desires to have your heart. And so tenderly, he's going to ask you, why are you troubled? Why? Do you have doubts in your heart about who Jesus is and the work that he's doing? For some of you who may have come into today skeptical and God may be working on your heart right now and maybe your heart's beating a little bit faster than it was a few minutes ago and maybe, you know, maybe God is, the Holy Spirit is beginning to do a work in your life because of something that's going on right now. My question to you is, what's stopping you? That's essentially what Jesus was asking. What is stopping you from believing in him, not up here? Although sometimes that's the first step, but in your heart. Like truly trusting him for your eternity. And for those of you who are already Christ followers and who already believe in him, you believe in your hearts, I I want you to be challenged today to not be like these men who, who left too soon. They left the game with one out left in the bottom of the ninth with two, at two outs with you know, um, you know, things looking terrible. My challenge to you, Christ follower, is to not have such little faith that you can't see Jesus working in your circumstances. And perhaps for you, the key to recognizing who Jesus is and the work that he's doing in your life is spending more time with him and getting to know him past your head, but getting to know him in your heart. 
See, we all can see Jesus and we all can understand that God is now with us. That his presence is with us. In a few weeks we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit and how God is with us in the form of his Holy Spirit. But in this moment there were people who were following Jesus who still had doubts. Even in seeing him, even in seeing those nail-scarred hands, they still had doubts. We're going to talk about doubt in a few weeks. My challenge to you today is to move from a place of knowing Jesus up here, but knowing who he is and what he's doing in your life, in your heart, so much so that you won't leave too soon. That you will stick with him because he has stuck with you and he'll see you through every circumstance that you may have. I'm gonna ask our worship team, our band, to come on back up here this morning. And I wanna ask you, if you're a Christ follower today, what area of your life are you struggling to stay in the game on? What part of who you are are you struggling to stay to see God finish the work that he started? What part of your life, is it, a, is it a relationship, is it finances, is it your work life, is it your business, is it students, your academic life, maybe seniors who are facing a pretty difficult time in terms of understanding what is all this about right now with this pandemic. God is with you, but do you know him? And I don't mean know about him, but I mean truly know him and trust him to see you through whatever circumstance you're in. To allow him and give him everything so that he can guide you through the next step of life. Maybe you're here today and you're a skeptic and man, something is just going on. Maybe you grew up in a religious home and you grew up in a churched home, but you've never really had that deep faith in your heart. You may, you may get it here, but do you recognize God working in your life? If I'm honest with you, I've wondered several times throughout the last six weeks, what in the world is going on? Why this pandemic? Why now? Why at this time in human history do we have this worldwide pandemic? But you know, God is the God of all of it. He's the God of the pandemic. He's the God of your isolation. He's the God of our quarantine. He's the God of the stay at home order. He's the God of your loneliness. And he can see you through every situation. There's nothing too big, there's nothing too great that he won't see you through. But church, Christ follower, and skeptic alike, we have to believe that he is with us. We have to reach out and hold his hand and trust that he's gonna guide us through. Father, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus for anyone who's listening to the sound of my voice, wherever they may be, whenever they may be listening, God, I, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them right now. God, that you would invade whatever area of their life is of their greatest concern. It's their biggest challenge. 
God, I pray that you would help them to realize that you are with them, that you are leading them. And Father, may they have such a deep faith in you. May they have such a heart faith in you. May they have such a significant faith in you that even when hope seems like it doesn't exist, even when the future seems incredibly dark, even when it seems like they are down to their last out and at bat, Father, I pray that they would trust you, that they would follow you. God, I pray for those who may be skeptical, who right now in this moment, <laughs> they know it is time for them to believe. It's time for them to go from an intellectual faith to a believing faith, believing that you really rose again from the dead, which you did. <laughs> you were so serious about letting us know about it that you chose to came back to this earth to appear to over 500 people over the course of 40 days. And God, I thank you for that. If you're listening today and you wanna accept Jesus as your savior, I wanna encourage you to pray this prayer that I'm gonna pray out loud right now. The words really don't mean anything unless you mean it in your heart. They're not that important. What's important is the intent of your heart. And if you wanna accept Jesus as your savior to know beyond a shadow of a doubt when you die, you'll be in heaven with him today. You'll be in heaven with him after you die. I want you to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. God, thank you for bringing me to this place today. And today, something has happened. And right now, I choose to trust you to forgive all of my sins. You already did it on the cross. And I choose to believe that you are my savior. Help me now to live for you. If you prayed that prayer, it's the most important decision that you've ever made in your life. It's a decision for eternity. And I wanna know about that. So please let someone know. You can email me at info at hiltonheadislandcc.org. You can put something in the comment section. You can go to our website and, and let us know about your decision today. Father, I thank you so much that you are God that chose to come close. You drew near to those two men on that road to Emmaus that day. You chose to continue down that road with them. And you do the same thing for us. God, I need to be reminded of that often. We need to be reminded of that often, that you are with us and that you are for us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.